Today, Dream Believers podcast. I'm your host, Base Orphan 18. Today, we are talking about two episodes um, the highly critically acclaimed Spanish teacher and. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm gonna cut it out, my laughing. And Heart. And uh, returning with me today is Snarky Hag and Slayer Kitty. Welcome back, guys. Hello. Hi. All right, Spanish teacher. Oh, yeah, hmm? let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> let's do this. Here's the thing about the Spanish teacher. I, I know that when I... I consider this the worst episode of Glee that is not about Sue. Um, it is the worst episode, in my opinion. It is definitely up there in my list of episodes that I don't need to ever watch a second time. With exception of any scene involving Ricky Martin. Yeah, and now here, I think <laughs> so, we should preface with the fact that, you know, this may be the worst. There are some fun tidbits in here, and I don't think any really bad episode of Glee is not without its merit. However, this episode tries. So. <laughs> I will say this I actually don't think it is a bad episode. It has structure. It sticks on a theme. It it, it has, uh, you know, glee logic, which is silly. But it, there is a continuity here, and there is an important point being made. The problem is that within the glee universe, this should be the episode where we all realize that Will is the villain. But that's not the reality they're trying to paint. This episode is how Will is the villain. Will is the villain. Will is the worst. Will is the worst teacher ever, the worst husband ever, the worst co-worker, like, just on all fronts. He's terrible. And yet, the problem with this episode is that we're supposed to look at all of his really fucked up shit and be like, oh yeah, huh, like, that's fine. If you look at it with the lens of, like, oh, well, this is the ep- this is the time in season three where everyone decided that Will was actually the villain, then it totally makes sense. Santana's story makes full-on sense like there's a lot of continuity there there are some good performances none of them involve will uh (laughs) but it's not yes it's not as jumpy and crazy and just sort of like word salad as some of the other episodes that we get 
kind of within this season and some of the earlier ones in season four where they were just like trying to hold on to something like this one has structure it's just all of the logic makes you want to throw something yeah well and we, we were talking back when we did i kissed a girl about just messy episodes um, and that is a messy you know just plot lines going everywhere and not really making much sense and um, even, like, I, I was doing my ranking today and I did Bash. And that episode, the pacing is just, what the frick were they thinking? It doesn't make any sense. So there are ways that, you know, episodes can be bad in other words. But I, I guess just as a, you know, I, I guess when I come to it as bad, not necessarily production-wise even, but just looking at, you know, the script writing and that the show is trying to make you think one thing and yet completely doing the opposite in the process. Yeah, the other thing there, there I always, to be a, a line I was going to say, the other thing I always thought was um, this episode feels like it should have happened earlier. In the series or in really, the season? Or? Yeah, in the series or even in the season. And then I say like that because... Yeah, if he's that <laughs> bad of a teacher... How has he been doing this job for this long? And I, okay, yeah, you could say, well, it's a public school. That's no, not the point. There's still some no. base standards. Yeah, public schools are not this bad. No, they're not. And that I, uh, coming from a person whose te- parents were both public school teachers, I call complete bullshit on that. Okay, so the point I wanted to make about um, the prop, the problem that that I think the real problem this episode has, which is a disservice to a character, is that if you look at the line through the season three episodes that are specifically about something that Santana is struggling with in terms of her relation either to outside society or her place, like her own identity and how that's coming that's like interacting with the things around her they're always in these batshit crazy fucked up episodes i kissed a girl <laughs> terrible episode right spanish yeah. teacher santana the santana in this is really well done but it's packed inside a sandwich of will schuster being terrible Asshole. hugely offensive and like you know, so you get this little bit of, like, growth and interest and really, I think, empathy for Santana, but it's in an episode that nobody ever wants to watch again because it's so awful. Right. And it's, so it's like she's never allowed, like, because she's apparently one of the villains, in order for there to be an episode where she's kind of okay, they have to just make everything this upside-down world. And she's she absolutely is the hero of this episode. And Will is the villain. And that's yeah. not the story I think they were trying to tell. No, especially at the end. I feel like it's hollow that she says, you know, you're such a great Glee um, instructor, you know, and, you know, I have respect for you. And I'm like, oh, why, Santana? Like, <laughs> I, your points, don't belittle your own points just to prop Will up in his Glee teaching because he's not a good Glee teacher either. So somewhere along the way, Glee needed to throw in a couple background moments, a couple scenes in the choir room where they showed Will is a mildly proficient Glee teacher in some way. Who isn't overly invested in the lives of his students. They never do. Well, or Finn. They never do. And then we get in this same season, we get this episode and he wins Teacher of the Year. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. 
Like, wh- what? <laughs> it's like a fever dream. Yeah. Well, and, uh, like, the other thing, I mean, he goes to teach history. He's not passionate about history either, so that kind of pisses me off. Um, he's not going to do any great service to those history kids either, so... At, at least at the end of the series, he's in charge of a dramatic arcs high school. Even though he has no administration experience, so that's just another problem. <laughs> like, oh, I do I do have to say one thing. I have to make a correction. I want people to understand how this works, because Glee just, for lack, lack of better term, fucks it up. Um, how tenure works in high school. Now, when you're in college and you're a professor... You, there are spots for tenure teachers, and you sometimes you can't get one unless somebody else leaves or dies or whatever. Um, in high school, that's not how it works. It's an individual type thing. And um, you're there for X amount of years, and after you're there for X amount of years, then you get on, then you are tenured, in, at least in within, I know this is true for Midwestern schools, which Ohio would be a part of, um, and that is okay. how it works. So the fact that Sue and Emma and Will are all fighting for a, a tenure position does not make any sense at all because they would all be on individual tracks. And well, see, until they brought up this whole any- tenure thing, I didn't even know high school teachers could get tenure. Oh yeah, they can't in California. I thought this was total just bullshit. I'm shocked that there's even like a possibility of it. In California, you get hired for each school year. Your contract either gets renewed or you or not like that's it it's so maybe completely insane i don't know i don't know what ohio's rules are so maybe it is different maybe i've been pissed off for years for no apparent reason but at least in the midwestern schools that i'm familiar with you can get tenure but it is a difference it, it is not like college and they, the the way that they present it here is like how a college would work so sure, and also I feel like tenure for the guidance counselor would be different than tenure for an instructional an actual, teacher. But, you know, be, like, yeah, a guidance that counselor too. would be like a secretary. It would be a different position altogether. So it wouldn't be something that they would be. They just wanted to have Will and Emma tension, and that is its own mess. That we and Sue to be the villain <sighs> as usual because Will can't be the villain of his own plot. No, never. <laughs> the best part about that, I think, is that he's the unintentional villain. Yeah. I don't see how this is unintentional. I mean, it's so... Everything he does is so egregious. But I if feel like if they are constantly people, propping him up to be the hero, how could it be intentional? This is not them showing mild, uh, you know, f- uh, like a flaw, like a flawed character. Like, oh, this person made a mistake, and so... You know, they're less than perfect. This is, like, systematic, really high-level offensive behavior. Okay, so then my question becomes, what did Matthew Morrison do to piss uh, R.I.B. off that week that they wrote this awful episode about Will? I don't know, because he kind of disappears for a while, so I wasn't really sure. But it does seem like either Matthew Morrison got bored with it or something. I mean, he did, there was some interview with him, like, way, way to the end of Glee, where he was, there was, like, a throwaway line about how, you know, there was a lot of time on Glee that was just a waste of his time, because he was just sitting in the trailer waiting to do his, like, five minutes of work. Which I agree, that's kind of a waste of time if you have something else going on. But at the same time, all those times when we didn't have Will Schuster on screen, it was like, thank God. 
Um, I do have a question for you, Snarky. Um, do you want to clarify, just so that we can be clear on our points, um, what is so bad about Will in this episode? Okay, so first of all, first of all, he doesn't know what he's... He's got... Um, <clears throat> okay, he doesn't know what he's teaching, so that's fine in some level of, like... You know, if you didn't know... If you were the physics teacher... And maybe you weren't very good at, what are they called, vectors or whatever. There would be, like, a part of your knowledge that wasn't really complete. But we have someone who's a Spanish teacher who fundamentally doesn't understand the Spanish language to a great, to a great degree, which they show in this episode. The, the Spanish culture, be it from Spain or from Mexico, because he kind of screws with all of it. The implication of, like, him... You know, the episode starts with him basically, I mean, I don't know if they signed up for it, but kind of forcing Artie and Puck and Finn, because are they going to say no to him, to take part in this, like, really, like, offensive version of La Cucaracha. And that's supposed to be Spanish class. And it's just, like, beyond the pale. Like, not even a microaggression. That's just, like, straight-up, like, racist, offensive. And ignorant. That's, like, him going and saying, like, well, do you want some bean dip and some salsa? It's Like, that's not, that's not the point. You know? Not at all. Um, and then, it can, and that line continues. The matador costume, like, all that kind of, like, really offensive stuff. And then when someone says, hey, this matters to me. And, you know, I would appreciate if if my teacher took something seriously. He's so threatened by his own his his power is threatened and he reacts in such a negative, offensive, patriarchal way to his students that he just seems like an awful person. And then at the same time, you see him concerned about, oh, my God, being the man again. And he does something really similar to Emma, where he's concerned about being the breadwinner and getting tenure. But she also works. She also had a job. She also could have tenure. She could be the breadwinner for both of them. Like, it's not a competition between them. And when it comes down to it, you know, she threatens his ability to get this tenure. And he cuts right at the heart of her. Like, he makes fun of her pamphlets. He does all kinds of stuff. He's just, he's just awful. Like, in every possible, we'll go through scenes and we'll just come up with more awful stuff. And it's just like, you know, this is an authority figure. This is someone who's supposed to have knowledge, who's supposed to be mentoring these kids. You know, he doesn't even treat Senior Martinez very well. I I just don't understand how someone like this is supposed to be a beloved character. Especially when you see Santana, you know, who is an important person in his universe. You know, I realize she's not as important as Finn because no one can be as important as Finn. But she is an important person within that Glee Club. Uh, you know, she's she's been through things and she should matter to him in some way, right? But Santana doesn't ever get treated like she matters. This is totally, this is an episode where Santana needed a scene with Bert Hummel just to make everything better. Yeah, exactly. They just needed one grown-up to, like, treat her decently. And Senior Martinez Someone was hug cool. that girl. Senior Martinez was pretty cool about stuff, but he doesn't have the depth of knowledge about her. Right. And he doesn't really go out of his way to know any of his kids outside of Finn. Slightly Rachel, maybe slightly Puck, but Finn. And it's and and you know what really kind of puts the cherry on the top of this episode and why I really do think it's the worst? This is the beginning of Sue wanting to have a baby. 
And the first thing that she oh. decides is that she wants to have Will's baby because that's a mag- it's going to be a magically wonderful baby if she has his baby. Could because you he's just a great imagine person. if that yeah, had actually happened? Her reasoning is that she needs to have this baby with him because he's such a great person. While at the same time, we're being shown all this like fucking awful shit that he's doing. So, so in case anybody yeah. was wondering why that I consider <laughs> this episode <laughs> the worst, I, and like I said, Not like why he's the worst in this episode, but just why he's the worst. Why I don't like Will as a character. It's kind of a, a summation of why I don't like him as a character. What I think the worst of Glee is, and yeah. you know, I will take some of those crappy, messy episodes over this because this is just uh, who wrote this episode? <laughs> I don't remember, but I should look. Oh, yeah, I don't know, but it was probably Tina. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, getting away from Will, oh. um, and and yeah, I, we that should joke say something. Never some, gets old. I know it does. Um, and yeah, it is unfortunate that Santana keeps getting, especially in this season, these really crappy, um, really crappy, you know, episodes to showcase her character. Shit on all season too. Yeah, yeah. This is a hard season. And then there's this. There's the this episode. She was thrown out of Glee Club in the premiere. Yeah, she gets outed. You know, she has. This is when we, it's a little bit off screen, but all the stuff happens with her abuela. Like, this yeah. is a really hard time for her. But, you know, Will needs to talk about nachos and put on a matador costume. Well, you know, he was hungry. All right. So moving on to better things. Let's let's move it on to the um, Cart and Blaine stuff. Well, there's no Blaine in this episode. That also no brings it down. Because Blaine. Blaine is off getting Why, eye surgery. Um. And that, you know, I actually no, because I had eye surgery when I was 16 and it took me two weeks to recover from that. Um, so, yeah, but they, they literally. Well, he's only gone for two episodes, right? Yeah. No, he's, he's only gone, gone for one. For this episode and most of Most Heart. of Heart. So. Yeah. <clears throat> That's he. Glee, Glee got their timeline right. Holy shit. <laughs> so, Okay. So, um, we, we start with first scene that Kurt is in is actually with Sue and it's when this, oh God, talk about highly inappropriate. Um, Sue is talking to the boys about sperm donation and how they need to go right down to the sperm bank and get their sperm in there. I'm I'm like, is she really telling these kids to go? They're underage. It's inappropriate. (laughs) It's just gross. And then she tells but, Kurt... But, you know, she doesn't want Artie or Kurtz. Yeah. Which seems weird. With all the Kurt-Sue stuff, I'm, I'm a little surprised by that. She didn't want to take the risk of her kid being gay, apparently. Not that that's hereditary, but you know she was thinking it. Or in a wheelchair, even though that happened because of an accident. <laughs> yep. It's genetic, didn't you know? Oh, my God. But then she's got Rory, Finn, and Puck there. I mean, would you really want those genes floating around? Well, I mean, at least Rory's pretty. I, I was going to say, I think I choose Finn. <laughs> <laughs> Gun to my head, I choose Finn. <laughs> well, he'd be really tall. Yeah. So, all right. Um, and then, yeah, there, we go into um, the Ricky Martin stuff. And um, let's just say that Ricky Martin does a fantastic job throughout this episode. Yes. 
The man can act. He can sing. He's got the stage presence. He really is an asset. Like, some guest stars are just weird, and he, I thought, did a really great job. He did, but he's got a musical background, and and I think that helps when you're going to be a guest star on the show. Well, and I really enjoyed it, because... But that doesn't mean he could act. True, but... And I'm going to date myself, but when he crossed over circa 1998, 1999, I loved him. Yeah, he didn't. (laughs) That was a really good album for him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And he still looks that pretty. So, he does. I want to, you know, let's give credit where credit do- is due. And he does a great job in his minimal guest starring role. And and he actually made that song reasonably entertaining yeah the the song is um i'm sexy and i know it and if anybody's never seen the video it is a just why did these people decide to do this i i i I don't know it's kind of horrifying um i mean so much about that song is a little um why did people decide to do it but i you know it got popularity so i understand why glee did it i mean and but i feel like adding the Spanish to it actually gave it a little something. Yeah, adding the Ricky Martin to it added a lot. And then the, <laughs> the, and adding in the kids in all their characters, I thought, made it a really, it was a really fun number. I mean, there were parts can that we, were hilarious. And can we take a minute a to number. wax poetic about Kurt and, and the chair? Well, you know oh, what? I want to give God. some context to this real quick. Because Kurt, during this entire scene, it's fascinating. Okay, okay, backing up. Okay, so here's this kid, and he really has been pretty closed off about, like, you know, crushes or whatever, and post-having sex with Blaine. Like, this is the first time he's just like, oh, wow, this guy's hot, and I'm just going to enjoy this. And he does throughout this whole, he's like this, it, it. He cannot contain it at all. And, you know, I mean... We've seen it before, and I think it was a little less once Blaine transferred, but Kurt is not one to join in on group numbers unless it's like a prearranged thing. Right. You know, there's multitudes of gifts. There's like whole gift sets worth of him sitting off in the corner during yeah. group numbers, especially the impromptu group numbers. So for yeah, him to get up and that. join in was a big deal. Well, he spends the first half of it, though, kind of just drooling in the corner. Staring yeah. at a perv. I mean, he spends the first half of it just being a perv, and it's hilarious. Because the girls yes, are but, also doing it, and, you know, it's funny. But And, like, the faces he makes are just, they're, they're comically amazing. <laughs> Yeah, he does a lot of really good work in that scene. He did such good work that the tabloids thought that that, uh, started printing things about Chris breaking up Ricky's marriage. Well, you guys must have seen that that behind-the-scenes interview where he jokingly is like, yeah, it was a really hard day at work today to have to pretend to think that Ricky Martin is attractive. Right. (laughs) Which, and it's another thing, Chris doesn't usually say stuff like that, so... He doesn't usually... Yeah, yeah. He must he's, really he's, think he's attractive. See, that makes me wonder if he let something slip one time, and then you know how the writers are. So they lot they're like, oh, by the way, we're gonna Ricky Martin on, and like Chris nearly fainted or something. No, I yeah. think I mean maybe, but I still think that they purposely wanted like 
but I don't know. They played it up. Yeah. But I do yeah. think uh, I do think it's an interesting thing that Kurt is coming out of his shell a little bit with with this kind of stuff. And I don't know. I mean, because he was very blatant as in his admiration. Where in the past, yes, he's been very closed off about that stuff. Even with Blaine in public, he's yeah. been a little closed off with it. So the fact that he was so open about it. Well, the thing is, Blaine might reciprocate if he's not careful. <laughs> Well, that's Blaine, true. Blaine can only control himself so much before he's like, all right, um, Janner's closet now, you know. <laughs> like, well, and don't think, I, you know, there's sure a lot of, that I, you know, I, I've heard criticism uh, unwarranted, but like that, you know, you know, how, you know, Kurt's got a boyfriend. How can he do this? I'm like, you're allowed to be human and look and don't think that he's not sending pictures to Blaine. I mean, come on. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's too bad that we didn't also get Blaine super into it in the quiet room because that, that would have been hysterical. Been just fantastic. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's a cool little beat to to notice. But then we can go. So as you know, now that we have the context, you can go in and really appreciate the chair thing. Um, <laughs> the little chair. I mean, oh, oh god. First off, just hello, f- flexibility. <laughs> I mean, there's just, you know, I have such an admiration for that. I mean, it was but a then, Santana move. It was wild times, you know. I know. And nobody said anything to him about it. That's what gets me. It's like, if, if that had been one of the girls, somebody would have totally called them out about it. The thing is, though, I, I think the whole number is played as, like, everybody is so under his spell. They're almost not even interacting with each other. They're all just That's true. loving it. Oh, man. But, that, yeah, like, the the dance move that launched a thousand picks because, that, I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't have to wonder about some things anymore. It's subtle. It's subtle. <laughs> it's, it's subtle in only the way that Glee can do. Uh, I want to know who thought up that move. If that was a Chris thing or if the choreographer was like, do it. (laughs) I can't see Chris volunteering to do that. A lot of things, but not that. (laughs) Wicked sick sense of humor. So that's true. He does. I don't know. I can, but that's, I don't know. Um, But um, backing up though, before we move on from this delightful number, I do want to mention this is another notch on the, Kurt thinks Will is an idiot uh, tally um, because yeah. this is where he says something about um, he has Will declares an undying love for all things Latin and Kurt's like what the frick so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Kurt's on our side that's why we love him yeah um, okay so moving on um, we have the slumber party between Rachel and Mercedes and Kurt. And um, nice little friendship moment. We haven't had one of these friendship moments in a while, so it's nice to see the three of them all being awesome together again. Watching Twilight. Watching Twilight. I love that so much because <laughs> that just goes back to Kurt's whole... Uh, Taylor Lautner? Uh, yes, I... I am almost ashamed of myself that I couldn't think of his name. Taylor Lautner in a bed, bed of lilacs thing. Mm-hmm. So how many times have they seen Twilight, you know? 
I feel like that's probably standard uh, sleepover fi- sleepover watching because Rachel pauses the movie and no one's like really upset. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like at that point they've probably seen it a, b- a bazillion times. I mean, I love that the three of them are in there. They're in their characterized perfectly pajamas. They're eating a shit ton of food and they're watching Twilight. And it's like and the Kurt most almost sits thing on the pizza. Somebody almost sits on the pizza. <laughs> Is that this one? <laughs> I think that was last oh, time. They're not eating pizza. Too. They're not eating no, pizza in this one. This is the one where they're passing the bowls back and forth. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. Do you guys want to say anything about the period line? I think it's That hilarious. was such a great line. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. I mean, people will say that it's insulting to Kurt because he's not a girl. But... I gotta tell you, I laughed. It's I think so it's a funny. Kurt solidarity line. So I took it. I mean, it's funny, but like, it's just him. You know, he's having solidarity with the girls. Well, and I think that it's sort of like, you know, if they're all gonna get emotional and and he's gonna be around them, then he's gonna get cranky too because they're cranky, and and so in in a, in effect, if they're gonna have PMS, well, then he'll pro- you know attitude is gonna rub off on you. I can you know, see that. You, you could be in a good mood until you talk to somebody who's in a bad mood and then you're in a bad mood too, because they've just been terrible. Well, so it's like, in a know, way I kind of get that. If he had said your periods don't come to the end of the month, it would have been really offensive. But in saying our periods don't come, it's like sweet. <laughs> He's commiserating and, and also saying yeah, that so I don't hilarious. understand why you're so upset right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, do we want to talk about um, just give a moment shout out to the Mercedes plotline in this episode that it's kind of swept under the rug because there's so much egregiousness going on. But she brings there's it up here. So much going on, but once again, Mercedes is a solid person with a she has a moral compass that she follows, and you know her her struggles are just as real as everybody else's, but she doesn't usually go crazy drama with it. No, but and she I, doesn't hear I either. I appreciated, like, it was like a check-in on, like, what's she doing now? Yeah, and she's trying yeah, to decide. Nice. I would have appreciated more talk about her at the sleepover, but, you know, Finn proposed. <laughs> well, yes, and then you have the line that debate, that spawned months and months of debate. Well, okay, so, going on, okay, so, we talked about in previous podcasts um, about this whole marriage thing, and you know, we talked about the boxing and the Christmas stuff. And then we have Rachel and Finn being, you know, engaged, which at this point is really not. I mean, they're just doing it for all the wrong reasons at this point. Um, and, yeah, so you get this, you know, Finn proposed and Kurt is freaking out, which is totally in line with his character. And, and even with the boxing there, it's still in line with his character. Because Kurt, to me, has always been like, yes. I want to marry Blaine at some point in the far future. And then that's why when she says, what would you do if Blaine proposed? And he gives that look, it's not, you know, it's a, I would say yes. I have my reservations about this still, but I would say yes. I mean, there's not, there's not a universe where Kurt says no to when Kurt is ever going to say no to Blaine. And so what's adorable about that look is that he knows it. He knows he's going to say yes. He just... Uh, about the the uh-huh. slumber party thing that um, we were talking about off Kurt of... Blaine are going to get married! Is that at this time, there's this woman from E, she's still there, I'm sure, 
watch the scene and tease that Kurt gives a look that he would never ever, you know, marry Blaine or he just hates the idea. And we were all like, "What are you talking about, lady?" <laughs> Obviously, like, yeah, that's not that's not his look. No, that's not. There's no way a human could interpret that look. No. And so it makes me wonder if she just did that for like. To, I mean, season three cleaners you know, to, to, would be to her article or something terrifying in the comments. I would not have tried that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but no, the well, look, you can say a lot of things about Clayton Vandom, but we are not silent. No, well, and that look basically says, you know, you are right. I'm not going to acknowledge that because I still think you are wrong for wanting to marry Finn this young. But I would totally marry Blaine in a heartbeat. So I will shut up now. Pretty much. Okay, so do we have any other comments that we wanted to have about the uh, slumber party scene? No, I just love it when they all hang out together. Man, this Mercedes is there. Mercedes is there. That is important. They're still friends. Yeah. Yeah. Of course they are. Even Mercedes and Rachel are friends. Exactly. That's the big one, I think. I think people forget that too, but this is after all of that early season three stuff where they were at odds over West Side Story and the Trouble Tone stuff, and now here they are. They're having fun together. Talking about boys, because that's what teenage girls and Kurt do. (laughs) While they watch Twilight and eat lots of junk food. While they watch Twilight and completely imagine which one of their boy, like, which one is their boyfriend, the question is hmm, like, okay, so we know what Kurt's thinking. Or, I know what Kurt's thinking. What is Kurt thinking? You should expand on that. Kurt is Kurt is Team Jacob, 100%. Totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. But what are... What about Rachel? I don't know. Oh. I, Rachel Eileen Edward. She's Edward. Mercedes is having a hard you, time deciding, remember? Mercedes is trying to choose a team. And she's watching Twilight because she can't decide. I don't know which one goes with what team. I'm just saying. The problem is, is that Mercedes is is not necessarily swayed by their good looks and is trying to figure out which of them would be a better boyfriend. That's true. She's so smart. She is. I mean, yeah. looks do. I mean, she, I think she does find both of them attractive, but. Well, yeah. Well, there isn't anyone in the Glee universe that doesn't find Sam attractive. If you're someone who could be attractive to the bodysuit that Sam wears, then you find Sam attractive. Yeah, because Santana <laughs> does not find Sam attractive. Yeah. Like, if you are in any way interested in that that offering, that offering is interesting. Yeah. Um, speaking of Sam Sadie's, we have two little Kurt moments. Uh, one is in Mercedes' song, where she's singing, and he's just looking so adoringly at her. During all this whole song. And I think it's really cute. Because, yeah, they may not have a focal friendship anymore. But it is in the background. And it is there. And, and I yeah. feel like this sort of implies, especially with the whole sleepover thing and talking about Sam thing, even if it was only for a minute, it shows that she's been talking to Kurt about her situation. Yeah. And and just yeah. like to point out with the Mercedes situation, though, it's that... I, she, I think she understands that her, her heart might lean towards Sam, but she doesn't want to hurt Shane. And I think we'll get into more of it in heart because that kind of where it comes to head. But that's 
kind of she's trying to be practical about these choices and not hurt anybody, and that's admirable, I think. Because we could have just had a cheating storyline. Oh, God. How many times does Brian Murphy get cheated on? My God. Um, Then we get Bolero. I think that's what it is. Bolero hero mashup. And, um, yeah, we get the Mexican boots. Kurt was in it for the shoes. Kurt was in it for the boots. He's in it for the shoes. Well, it was one of the more interesting things about that. When I was doing the meta for this, I went and I looked it up on YouTube just to see, you know, the actual people dancing with those on. It was interesting. There's a little documentary out there. What I want to know is who hurt themselves with those shoes while they were filming that? Probably all of them. Probably Chris, because he does that a lot. Somebody had to. Probably Chris. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they played, like, with swords. I can see them doing that, too. They just look really delicate. Yeah, they probably were. That's true. I'm pretty sure I can break them. (laughs) Not even trying. I'm also going to point out, this is another fuck you, Will moment. Sam who is explained to us as an idiot, right? Sam does a 1,000% better job of singing a song, having something to do with the Latin culture, without being totally offensive and ridiculous. You know, and I actually felt that he was trying really hard to be respectful. Sam is... Yeah, well, see, Sam is like... he's, he's, He's explained he's an idiot... He's dyslexic. He's a hick out of nowhere. He doesn't ever know anything. He never gets anything. If there's someone who has to play stupid, it's always Sam. And yet here is Sam definitely not being offensive or dismissive or degrading to a particular person or culture at all. And somehow Will is not able to do that. And I think the juxtaposition between Sam and Will just makes Will look, again, terrible. He just drops down another level. I wonder if that was intentional or not. I feel like they don't, they unintentionally make Sam such a great guy. Like they're not going for it, but just by default of all of these other idiots being idiots. So Sam looks better. Yeah. No, I mean, not, not, that's not, I didn't mean to undermine Sam with that. I really didn't. But like, I do think Sam is just a genuinely good guy all around. And that's really cool that they do have one, you know, I mean, Finn, Finn is a good guy too, but just one straight guy straight white guy who is really a good guy. Well, Sam has to be he has to be reasonably moral and compassionate and empathetic and smart about how to care about people to even exist along with Mercedes. Like he can't That's be That's true already. because if he wasn't those things she wouldn't like him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the next scene with Kurt is the Kurt Finn scene. Where Finn is kind of just resigned to marrying Rachel, and that's going to be his life, because this whole second half of Finn's, of season three is Finn's storyline about him not really knowing what to do with his life. And I do like what Kurt has to say here, where he's, you know, he wants Kurt, or he wants Finn to follow his own dreams and not Rachel's. I appreciate that Kurt is saying that your dreams aren't over and that you have lots of ability. I don't like the avenue that Clea is shoving it. Well, yeah. Down because of other things. But he does keep... However, also, being Rachel Berry's house husband really probably wouldn't be that bad. No. Well, and I don't think it's necessarily a... Like, 
Because they kind of framed it, if Mercedes got really famous, Sam would be kind of her house husband. And it kind of framed it in a positive way. Whereas, but I think that's because they're trying to make Finn the protagonist. And I, I don't, I don't always understand what storyline they're trying to push down our throats. But it's just something that they are. I don't know. It's so complicated. I don't know. The thing that I think that I, I, and I think a lot of people in fandom in general took issue to this was that there's very much a, you have to go to college. You have to go to college. You can't have a self-respecting career without going to college. You know, and that's always been Glee's, well, that will be Glee's message going forward too. And it's kind of funny because I am pro-education. I'm, I'm there for being as knowledgeable as you can, but I do think that there are other ways of gaining that knowledge. And I do think that there are other ways of being happy. Well, and, and, and this just goes into the whole, at least for me, you know, the whole, some people do not do their best in an art, in an environment like that. Honestly, aside from the fact that Rachel Berry isn't there, he should just run Hummel tires and lube. He should just apprentice and get in there and he's going to be set. Well, and I think that's where they were kind of going with the storyline, especially when they get into season four, that he's going to be a teacher and he was going to be happy doing that. And yeah. there's nothing wrong. I think the pro- this is where the Finchel stuff gets messy because Rachel has her own life and her own ambitions. And Finn is trying to make his life work around hers. And you can't really do that. You have to kind of live your own life. And, well, and I think the ultimate plan, or at least, quote unquote, the ultimate plan per Ryan Murphy take it with a grain of salt because we really only hear heard about this after Corey passed uh the whole plan was for finn to stay in lima and rachel to go to new york and do all these things but then when she was ready she was going to come back just like she said in goodbye she was going to come back and he was going to be there yeah and they would be get back together and get married or whatever oh what a, I, okay and this is well, why we're not, not a Finchel con uh, podcast. You what? And, and, and this is why we're not a Finchel podcast. Whether or not you agree with that statement and how that relationship should have gone, I think that's where they were starting to go with this. Yeah, I agree. My thing, uh, you know, because you are right in that we've heard both, I think, Lee Michelle and Ryan Murphy talk about um, the ending of Finchel and the ending of the show and uh-huh. the quarterback also kind of hinted at what would happen for them and that Rachel would return. And I think that quarterback, that was the episode I was thinking of not goodbye. Oh yeah. Wrong name. That's what I was thinking of when Rachel is talking to Mr. Sue to Will at the end, uh, when she says all that stuff about, you know, the part that I sobbed through where she's talking about how Finn was her person. Right. And yeah. she talks about oh, doing Broadway and a Woody Allen movie, and then she'd come home. And my thing... Finn would be there waiting for her. I think... I feel like that would cut her character short. And this is my personal, like... Well, and it's kind of... Not only that, because I think that you're right, as, as far as who Rachel is as a person. Not only would it be doing a disservice to her as a character, and to her character's, you know, quest for talent and whatever... But it's also a disservice to Finn because what he's just supposed to wait there while she's out living her life. Right. And I think the point was that he was going to find his way in life, which I think is great. But 
I think that him finding his way in life without her is something that I think he needed to do anyway. It's kind of like, you know, how in, in the Kurt and Blaine story, Blaine kind of needs to find his own feet without Kurt, and he does. Yeah. But I feel yes. like, you know, and I think Finn was on that same path, but unfortunately it got cut short. But to me, well, that's why yeah. Finchel, as a romantic couple, has always made more sense of here are these two people, they love each other and meet each other in high school. And then when they get out of high school, they go their own way. And it's not, you know, they both look back on these memories as good memories. And these were good things that happened in their life. And maybe they're even still friends. Right. But they moved on because they have just two different life sets. Finn is going to be happy in that small town teaching and and growing and being a much better teacher than Will. And Rachel's going to go off and be, you know, Ms. Broadway. And that, to me, speaks better to their characters than them trying to force this kind of convoluted ending so i know yeah. there are finchel shippers out there i'm sorry i'm not trying to like offend anybody but like to me that's as a story and as a real life situation makes more sense yeah well the the thing that really was interesting for me after Corey passed away was that i remember thinking like man we were just always ragging on finchel and finchel this and finchel that and we hated finchel and you know because to be honest they had you know we had just come off of you know there was season three where it was all finchel all the time and it was terrible and then season four where everybody was broken up and it was terrible and uh but the thing i that really centered home for me is while i don't always like rachel and I don't really care for Finchel most of the time. I love Finn. And I don't think I realized how much I liked Finn until he was gone. I really liked Finn getting into season four. But I, you know, this is going to sound really funny and ridiculous. I appreciate the Finchel storyline in season three as if it were a couple who was not going to make it. As a story about two people being on two different life paths, I think it's more interesting. Now, comparatively, it is frustrating when Finchel, you know, drama sucks up, you know, 50% of the episode and everybody else is stuck with the other 50%. I really, 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 really don't need to see them discussing what kind of chair they're going to have right. at the wedding. Exactly. That's just an episode scene I did not need. I don't even know what episode that's it, in. That was goodbye. I'm so angry about it. I'm pretty sure there's there's an entire post full of chair throwing gifts in response to that conversation. Right, exactly. And it, when you you have the thing about season three, and this is where it really starts with the Finchel craziness. Well, really, in Yes No is when it started. But um, I understand what they were doing. I understand the story that they were telling. They they were leading to this big giant breakup, and you know they. I think that in season three, they kind of had an idea of where they wanted the series to go, um, and. Um, with Finchel, anyway, uh, you can kind of see the big arcing storylines of what they were going to do. Yeah, and I think from the beginning they always had an idea. Right. I think, unfortunately... executed it very well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> unfortunately, the fact is you have this great ensemble cast. You have a lot of characters that a lot of people like more, and they are barely getting screen time, and, they're, and the censor stuff on top of it, it makes it frustrating. So... And like I said earlier, Clay Finham, 
a lot of things, but not quiet. So we were very vocal about how unhappy we were. Right. And so was Britanna, which we'll get into in the heart episode. Um, deservedly so. More than, even more than Clay, deservedly so. Although, I mean, in the end, they did write by him. So. Yeah. But that doesn't justify. How the, they were treated here. Yeah. Yes, here and there. There there are some episodes where I feel like they were treated reasonably well, and then there's other episodes that I'm just going, oh my god. Yeah, and, and at the same time, I think Britanna um, got the short end of a, the stick. They did. So, anyway. Um, okay. So, then we kind of end... Oh, no, this is during the... Um, I have to do a... Talk about the Matador scene for a second, cause, uh, because Kurt is in it. And um, Finn says, his line is, what's with the shiny coat? I thought you were Kurt to Will. I'm like, really? I don't. <laughs> and then Will says, I'm a, an authentic Spanish matador. <laughs> and no, I'm not. I'm like, oh, my God, make yeah. it stop. Let's get I took three years of high school Spanish and four, four classes of college Spanish. I am nowhere near fluent at even at all. I can say hi, and I can tell you right now that that's not an authentic matador costume. <laughs> and it's not something that Kurt would ever wear. Whatever. <laughs> He's worn a lot of things, but he'd never wear that. Yeah. He. Yeah. Well, if, Finn because he know has that. standards. He that's true. And his standards involve not never looking like Will Schuster. Yep. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like at the top of his fashion list. Like, if Will Schuster were wear it, don't buy it. Yeah. Um, as far as I can tell, there aren't any Kurt reaction scenes, and I, I did. I watched the scene like three times um, during the Sandham, Ricky Martin stuff, actually. Yeah. Um, and I, I could. There's nothing. So um, that's it. That's all Kurt for the the episode. So we can skip the rest of it. Um. Well, can we Santana, talk for a minute that Santana avenged. does give Will a really good dressing down? Yes, except for she ruins it at the end a little bit when she's like, you, you're such a wonderful Glee teacher. Not that she yeah. ruins it, the writers ruin it. I feel bad that Santana has to say it, but I'm glad that she does have that moment. And I do love that Mr. Martinez is the new Spanish teacher, even if we never see him again. Right. Well, none of those people take Spanish, except for Santana, who... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Kurt takes French. Who doesn't go to college, so why is she taking Spanish if she already speaks it? There's no, she doesn't need to take a foreign language equivalent to get into. I guess. Yeah, if you do, I mean, yeah, you probably still would. You would have to take one if you were going to go to college, but I can see why she would have taken Spanish. She's already fluent, so she wouldn't have to do anything. That'd be her easy A class. Yeah, exactly. I can totally see the logic behind her taking Spanish. That'd be the class that she doesn't have to do anything for. On a complete side tangent, I took a journalism class and I was totally Carson Phillips. I was so pissed that nobody would do anything that I said because I was editor. And <laughs> oh man, high school. Anyway, that had no relevance. That just popped in my head. Okay, so finally getting out of the Spanish teacher um, to a much better episode, and I think this is an underrated episode. I think it's a lot better than people sometimes give it credit for. Um, and it is hard. Well, and and I'm sure we'll get into it, but I think the reason why people dislike it so much is unfortunately because of the the big gorilla stuff. in the room. <laughs> yeah, the gorilla in the room. <laughs> um, yeah, and we'll get into that in a second. But I just wanted to say, when I come back to this episode, there's a lot of funny things, and 
you know, Britannia gets a, a storyline that I think is relevant. Um, and, and it's actually a halfway decent storyline. Yeah. And, and it's a funny, it's a funny episode. There's a lot of funny things in this episode. And I think, you know, just all the stuff at this point, I think cleaners were getting really frustrated. And I think that just in general, people were getting, beginning to get frustrated and, but this episode is actually pretty decent. It's one of the non-Finchel-focused episodes. I mean, they do have a little bit of a plot, but it's like the C-plot. Well, but no, it's their parents. Rachel Berry's parents show up. They're, oh, I guess maybe they are more prominent. than I, I mean, it just it feels like... But it's I mean, funny. for the claim, so I feel like that was less important. But the thing about it, and this is what I realized when I was when I went back and I watched this one, and it's something that's there in I Do, and it's something that's there in Silly Love Songs, for whatever reason, I don't know. The Valentine's episodes are really good about balancing their ensemble cast. Because everybody in those three episodes, all of the couples kind of get something. Or, you know, get nods, and everybody gets a little bit of a balance, and it's a really tightly balanced episode. I'm always astounded by that, but all three of those, so. So Tina didn't write it then? No, Tina did not write it. If Tina wrote it... Well, there's no Blaine in it. I was going to say that. <laughs> no, he shows up at the end with a heart pack. What? You just spoiled it. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> you can so edit that fun. out. I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. I know. <laughs> We got a lot before we get to the end. So we, we uh, open up and, and Will wants to do the world's the greatest love songs and everybody's all excited and Kurt's at the piano and he's pining. He's so mopey. He's adorable mopey. He misses oh, his boyfriend. And then um, again, this is another uh, Kurt thinks Will needs to go away moment um, where um, Sugar wants to pay for a party or pay for something. She wants to pay for their transportation and hairspray costs for sectionals, nationals, where uh, everything. Uh, sectionals, I think. No, no regionals. 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 Where the hell are they going? <laughs> Wherever they are. They're going somewhere. Whatever the next episode is. Actually, <laughs> regionals was at McKinley, so they weren't going anywhere. Oh, that's true. Maybe it was for nationals then. That's really funny. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but it's definitely, it's like. She wants to pay for, like, costumes, transportation, and hairspray. Hairspray is definitely on the list. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's important, you know. Yeah. Just between Kurt and Rory. Jesus Christ. And so Will doesn't want to, and Kurt's like, just take the money. Just take it. <laughs> that's so funny. And then, is this where Sugar gives out her presents? Yes. And Artie's is in the trash? Yes. <laughs> 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 I don't know why. That should not be that funny, but it is. <laughs> uh, I wanna I wanna give a shout out to Rachel's dads, um, played by Jeff Goldblum and um and um Brian Stokes Mitchell. They are delightful and hilarious. Fantastic. And really it's worth sitting through this Finchel plot line because it's really adorable. I did not yeah. know that I needed Jeff Goldblum to be one of her dads until it happened. I'm just saying. He's so, like, I wouldn't have cast him in that. But I wouldn't have either. And then, but then, like, watching it, it's like, of course. Uh, it's perfect. I mean, I also wouldn't have cast it, because those aren't guys in the picture, but fine. <laughs> well, yes. But that was, like, 
from a pilot episode where they weren't didn't even know if they were going to get picked up. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I understand they had to recast, but that just that just adds to the but it's Glee. Yeah. So. Okay, so we get um, we get a very interesting group of people in the lunchroom. I <laughs> this is really weird now that I think of it. It's Kurt and he's with Puck and Artie and Rory and Mike. I think Tina might be Blaine's there too. Blaine's not there. He's lost. Blaine is lost. He doesn't know what's going on. There's no Blaine. I mean, he's sitting there listening to Puck talk about picking up sorority girls and Artie and Rory are fighting over sugar. And he's mm-hmm. just eating potato chips. Well, that's, that's canon. Kurt does love snacks. He does. He does love his snacks. And, and before we get into the big giant gorilla in the room, I want to say something that's always really cracked me up is the um, when Rory pulls out a four-leaf clover. And and Kurt's always Kurt says something like, do you guys always carry one of those around or something? And it's so funny because Chris is Irish and Kurt is very, I mean, it's like, he looks almost <laughs> like Rory. It's just, <laughs> it is just such an absurd thing for him to ask. It sounds like that would, that's more of a, like a Finn thing to ask. Right. Yeah. Where is Finn in the well, scene anyway? Kurt's allowed to be stupid. Yeah, I know. I mean, it was funny, don't get me wrong, because he was so serious about it. But it's just like, I felt like the, like that comment was meant for somebody else. And yeah, they and like that whole, the whole Kurt, it almost seems like, is Kurt high? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's reading, okay, to set up. Is he hanging out with those guys? He's just snacking and like is blathering he? on. He's got his note. He thinks it's from Blaine. And Artie's even like, why does it say, you know, secret admirer? And he's like, because Blaine's trying to be cute. I mean, you know, that's this is true love, Puck. Listen up. True love sends you secret admirer notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you know Blaine's handwriting? I mean. Well, this is what I don't well, understand. See, I don't know. This I always I... thought that he was assuming that it was a like a professional delivery. So, like, sometimes when you call that stuff in, you, of course, you don't write it. But whoever made the balloon bouquet would have written it. Yes. But here's the thing that's confusing. Does Kurt seem to think that Blaine is in the gorilla suit? You know, I've never understood that if if he thought so or not. Because... Because... When they... When they're finally at... I almost said scandals. Jesus. Uh, The breadsticks... (laughs) At the end scene when they're in scandals, when they're at breadsticks in the end, he's like, okay, take off your mask. And it's like, this guy is huge. This is not pocket Blaine. What are you doing? Like, there's no, right? there's no conceivable and, way and Blaine did him. not grow six inches in, yeah. in the two weeks that he was home recovering from his eye injury. And there's like, even you know, antibiotics and pain meds, not human suit? growth hormone. <laughs> yeah, he would have to be wearing stilts in that suit for that to be. Like the person in the suit is taller than Kurt. Well, and my thing is, like, if he thought if he was though, when this scene, if you thought your boyfriend was in the freaking gorilla suit, wouldn't you be a little bit like, oh yeah, thank you for the present, go away? I mean, that's Kurt is really kind of dismissive of the actual gorilla. So yeah, I can't buy that he does. So maybe he just thought like in the final scene that like, oh well, now he's finally showing up. Okay, he's wearing still wearing the gorilla suit because he's been sending gorilla grams all week. Super cute. 
Maybe. But, maybe. But, you know, maybe. Maybe he was just so desperate to see Blaine that it didn't occur to him that there's no way it could have been Blaine. Well, and this sure. episode also brings up the big issue of, like, you have an eye injury. It's not like he can't use his hands to text or whatever. So I wonder if, like, I read a really great fic once, actually, that that Blaine spent, like, all week teasing Kurt about it, like, a, a reunion and, like, all of, like, you know... The stuff that he's going to do when they get back together or whatever. And Kurt thinks that, that this stuff is all of that. I don't know. I think I read that one, too. I don't yeah, know. I just too. don't. It seems <laughs> out of line. I mean, I can understand why Kurt is like, I don't want to spoil the surprise. So I'm not going to ask Blaine about all the things that he's sending me. But it still seems weird. There's a lot of plot I holes. I mean, it makes it makes total sense for, the communi- for Kurt to assume that that's part of Blaine's wooing. Because you wouldn't assume, like, well, that's enough. He's probably done. That'll, you know, that'll do. You know, like, most people will be like, well, I already got flowers, so this must be from somewhere else. Whereas Kurt's like, well, I mean, I got flowers and chocolates and a monkey gram. I don't know. It seems like there's going to be more. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, and Kurt just eats this stuff up. I mean, like, oh, at this seriously. point, he, he's not questioning it. He's like, Blaine already is known for doing romantic gestures. He's, he's going to keep going. You know, he... Kurt's not going to question it. No. He's so excited about the prospect of all this overt displays of emotion and, like, being wooed and Blaine being all romantic that maybe he was letting all the things that didn't add up go because he was so into the idea of having a boyfriend to spend Valentine's Day with and to be romanced by. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense I to mean, me. I mean, this is finally, this is, you know, after last Valentine's Day, this one's supposed to be better. But no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there. Um, first, um, <laughs> let's give a shout out to the first appearance of Joe and the God Squad. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry, that was my shout out. Because <laughs> it's in the episode. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know, I feel like I should mention it. Uh, we did talk... At length about when Rory Rory first started, and I just thought, you know, this is Joe's first. Um, I think Joe is a more interesting character than Rory. I find I find Joe more fascinating than Rory, because of well, first off, I mean that hair is glorious, and the I don't remember. I know the actor had tattoos. I can't remember if they actually let him show his tattoos. They or did, not, but. They did. Okay, so he's got tattoos. He's got the dreadlocks. Uh, did he keep the nose ring? Yes. I think okay, so. Okay, he's got piercings. And, you know, but he's this, you know, he's real sweet, and but he's religious. But, you know, and that's what, what one of the main themes of the Santana plot is. is can the God Squad, you know, serenade her and Brittany? Yep. Because they're lesbians. And I thought that was a really interesting thing that they did with with those characters. Right, and that's why I wanted to mention the plot because um, or this plot because it hits on two things that I think are relevant. One is that Glee kind of does this thing where it says, "Hey, it's okay and cool to be Christian and still be accepting of people," and I, I really like that message. It's not a message you get a lot. No, um, and I think it's a good one. And. That's great. Um, and it and also, they actually did it relatively well. And in an entertaining way. Because really, the, the stuff in this is actually, I think it's kind of entertaining. 
to be honest with you. Um, the other thing it does is the Britannia gets a plot. They get to acknowledge the fact that Britannia has not kissed. They've kind of neck kissed and in duets. They're laying side by side, but and Santana's kissing her neck. Um, but they have not kissed yet. And on yeah, camera. On camera. And that's not that that is just ridiculous. It really It really is. So um I really love the the moment where they um where Figgins calls them in and he's like teen lesbians. That, okay. <laughs> uh, and while yes, I would have liked to actually seen the kiss he interrupted, anything that Figgins does is automatically comedy gold, so I can't help but laugh. But I, the other thing, the other part of that, I love how um, Santana talks about the double standard because they go into that. What we, you know, what you didn't see like a second before is that gross display of Finn, Finn and Rachel, and they go in for that slow kiss where it's really gross and slobbery and everything, oh. and it's so. But yeah, that's. Ugh. I know this episode is, you know, it does that to to um, address the whole censorship thing. I don't know. I still See, think that... In, in, a, in a way, so then my feeling is like, okay, yeah, they're trying to address the censorship thing, but they're also not doing anything about the censorship thing. So you're basically just pointing it out. Yeah. I mean, they do get to have their kiss at the end, and it's a very sweet kiss, but... And it, it's, it's one of my... Uh, they they have a couple kisses where I'm kind of like yeah, but this is one of my I like this kiss a lot. It was really nice. And then their kiss in season five, I really like that one too. I feel like their kisses aren't as well directed as some of the other ones, and I don't know why that is. They're held back. Uh, and I sup- oh, go ahead. I'm surprised how dispassionate some of their kisses seem to come off when you think of the fact that these are like... I think that's more of what I was going for. Yeah, because these are two, like, highly sexually comfortable characters. Who have apparently been getting down and dirty since season one. Yeah, so it seems like... I mean, I understand the difference between, like, you know like a sweet little romantic kiss in the room full of people, but I'm kind of surprised that it, they don't blur the line a little bit more because these are both characters who play up sexy um, to their advantage as, you know, as they want. And you would think that they would have like a real, you would think that these two would have a very charged chemistry. And I feel like that didn't really come across and that was odd. And it, it made, it made me less interested in them as a romantic couple, because I didn't see the, I didn't see the chemistry there. I wanted to. And I feel like when we got to the end, we finally got there, but it, it took a while. And, and I don't really know know if that's the writing or, I don't know if it's the writing or the acting or what. What I think is kind of weird when you compare it to complain and I, uh, that Brittany and Santana, because I do agree with the points that you guys are saying, but I, Brittany and Santana get to be physical in a way that Kurt and Clay don't. Like, they get to hold each other and hold each other's hands and lean on each other. Sure. And Clay doesn't. But Clay gets this bigger story. They get more kisses. They get, you know, more conversation. They get to have, be involved in each other's plot lines, especially you know, in the second half of the series. And Brittany doesn't. And I don't know what 
is going on there either. I don't know if the writers weren't comfortable, you know, writing a lesbian relationship. I don't know how much... I, season three is definitely a lot of censorship, but it's kind of weird. Yeah. It's unbound. But it's also, like, they're written... They're written like best friends. I feel like it takes it takes a while for it to transition from um, something that Santana and Brittany did, not for attention, but like not because they wanted to an ex, an experimentation to see who they were, you know, and then eventually it becomes an actual relationship. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, it's making like, sense. Like you know, the, their initial the initial time that they are they're hooking up gets talked about is very much as a joke, and it very much seems like, you know, the thing that these two really attractive women do at parties to make boys interested. Um, and then as we move towards a point where the boys being interested doesn't really matter, it, it still seems like we we lose it somehow. Like they like there's it takes a beat before it make sense again well especially um, when you have i think like santana and quinn have more chemistry like santana and quinn had a huge amount of chemistry in that and i don't understand why Britanna wouldn't um i thought they're the scene where um they're laying on the bed sort of being romantic and intimate like that totally made sense but um but a lot of this kind of stuff just doesn't really I just had, I felt like I couldn't get it. Which uh, makes and sense. And it. I mean, and a lot of people think of that towards Clayne in season three too. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I see the chemistry more. So maybe Britannia people do see the chemistry more, but like. Well, you must. I mean, you got to see it more than I see it. Cause I feel like it doesn't happen until they get married. Yeah, no, I agree too. But, um, and I still feel like, I don't know. I, to me, Clayne's chemistry comes out. More, but then they do get more. I mean, sometimes when they they're do. just sitting there, they're just sitting there, and yeah, it's not anything. So, season three, my god, um, <laughs> this is why I don't like you, season three. Um, and the thing is that w- one of the things that I don't like about it is that I mean, you look at how we're talking about it. We're talking about it as if it's like Britannia versus Clean, which is not. That's not no. a duality. That's really real. But I feel like that's something that came about because of a bunch of under other pressures. It was um, an unintentional really duality that that showed up as a result of the Finchel pushing and the LGBT censorship in season three. That instead of and it sort of never really went away after that because up until yeah. then, you know, as a fandom anyway, we had had no issues with with you know Britannia fandom or or even really with Finchel fandom and and then after season three I mean Britannia fandom hated us and we hated Finchel <laughs> you know in some ways and so it unintentionally had an effect on uh not only the show dynamic but also the way that we as the audience were reacting to what they were writing Right, and yeah. on top of that, you get, I mean, look at this this episode. You get, I mean, well, Clayton does get, I mean, Kurt, uh, ah, let me start over again, sorry. If you look at this episode, yeah, Blaine is not there because Darren wasn't there for most of the shoot. But even if he had been, like, yeah, they would still get stuff, and they did get stuff in this episode, but it was Bertana's episode, quote-unquote. 
so where Tana gets the, you know, time to be, you know, they, they get their kiss where we get, we got the first time and we got to kiss in the first time. I mean, there's that, like, yeah, this gay couple is featured this week and another gay couple will be featured next week. And that, you know, and then, but Finchel can be featured in our faces every week. It, it, so I, I understand, unfortunately, why the tensions were there, because we were all, you know, running around for scraps of pieces of storylines. We're all begging for the same scraps. Right. Yeah. And I also felt like Britannia came, the idea of Britannia came out of this, like, weird heterosexual male fetish. And it took a long time for it to move from that. Um. And so, you know, there's plenty of reasons why it was okay for them to hold hands and it was okay for them to, you know, you know, the two of them to essentially be on a date and Puck happened to be there. He's kind of in between them in a way. He's like superfluous to their date, but he's there. You know, it took it almost took a while for Glee to understand that, like how their relationship worked. It seemed like they really fundamentally didn't get uh, what two women might want to get out of a relationship with each other. Oh, yeah. And then they break them up by the time they start to figure yeah. it out. <laughs> Yeah, right. you know they get and and they're they are a couple who like they get sex they get a lot of sex there's a lot of them talking about sex all the time, but that's kind of it and it's I don't know I I don't understand why it why they weren't able to make something better out of it because I don't think the actresses were incapable and you had a fan base hungry for the story, you know hungry to see that kind of connection and representation and i feel bad saying this and i, I really am not seeing this to undermine Britanna, but i think Britanna was a thing because the fans wanted it and if the writers it was because it, they started with a throwaway line that so many people latched onto that i mean clearly the fans wanted it but, I mean, I don't yeah. think that they would have kept writing it if the fans weren't so loud about it. I think they would have broken them yeah. off, off screen and kind of like Mike and Tina not really doing or even Mar- uh, Artie and Tina, they wouldn't have really done anything with it. Well, they broke Mike and Tina up off screen. Too. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying, like, they, they wouldn't have done much with it. But I think there's such a vocal. But even, you know, I'm going to throw this out there. I don't even think Clayne was going to... I don't think that they were thinking that Clayne was going to be that big. I think that they They were were. trying to go... And I think that Britannia came along on the... After that exploded and Glee understood that it was possible to exploit this aspect of their storyline, then it became something, you know, it took on a life of its own. Well, I think that... uh... I mean, when the show was first airing, so this is what oh, is this early 2012? Which part of the show? Like the show started in 2009. Three. Oh, season yeah. three was um, 2011, 2012. Okay, so right now where we're at is 2012, right? Okay. Yep, early part, February. So when the show started in 2009, the fact that Kurt was gay was a big damn deal. The fact that yeah. Kurt was gay and a main and a relatively main character was a big damn deal. And then speed forward to you know 2010 when you know you've got Kurt and Lane kissing on TV and everyone flipped their shit. But it's the most popular thing on the show next to Finchel, and I think that was a wake up call for them to realize, hey, 
this audience is ready and can support and get behind the gay relationships just because the critics don't like it or, you know, people are freaking out about it on conservative TV. We can do this and they're not going to boycott our show. And in fact, our ratings are going to go up. See, and that's the thing about the later seasons that I think it's unfortunate that there were. Oh, how do I put this? I think that the general audience did go away, but I do think that Glee really kind of was a niche show and even more so in seasons four, five, and six. And that's why it became, I mean, like you look at seasons four, five, and six and and more especially five and six and you feel like, wow, this is my, you know, big queer show, but still, we're still kind of in this, this is a show about a, you know, high school Glee club and it's just a different feeling and it's, because the show is still trying to figure out what it's trying to do with itself. And I don't think it ever really figures that out, but yeah, if any of that made sense, I just threw out like 10 things. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> anyway, teen lesbians, teen lesbians. <laughs> okay. Back to the story. Gosh, oh. 20 minutes later. 20 minutes later sorry. <laughs> um, actually, we, so we're getting into the next scene is actually when Finn and Rachel announced their um, engagement officially. And, and Kurt is, um, Kurt's still kind of like, yeah, whatever. I don't think you guys should be doing this. He's the one that actually told Bert about it. And Bert was kind of... I love that he went and told his dad. <laughs> I like, love you that You will not believe what stupid thing Finn is doing now. Um, this also has that weird line by Finn. It's, or maybe it was Rachel. One of them says, oh, yeah, I was looking forward to seeing you guys in a bridesmaid's dress, even you, Kurt. I guess it was Rachel. Because Quinn voices her. Who says it? Someone says it, and it's weird. It is weird. <laughs> no, it's 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 Rachel. That is such a weird line. It is. Yeah, I can't really wrap my why, especially when in a couple of episodes. Well, it's going to be like five or six. Kurt's going to be really adamant about not dressing up as a woman. So I, it seems strange that that is a. He had already. This been is an episode full of lines that don't feel like they should have come from the people they're coming from. But anyway, the point is. Kurt's not on board with them getting married so young because he feels rightfully that they are kind of just doing this to cling on to each other because they're uncertain about their futures. And he's right. Yeah. So. And according to fandom, Quinn's not on board with it because she and Rachel are supposed to get married. Oh, well. Fandom. (laughs) (laughs) Which had a lot of traction. Sorry, Britanna. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. You know, and Quinn doesn't get enough credit. Quinn is a smart girl. She knows things. I mean, yeah. Quinn got into Yale. Quinn is a very smart girl. She's like, look, I've made all the mistakes. Yep. (laughs) All right. So, yeah. And then Artie sings a song to Sugar and Kurt's having a fun time bopping along. And we can bop along to the next scene. (laughs) Um, Wait, no, I have to point out Kurt is wearing a strange outfit. He looks like he is dressed from 1990. That's the one with the baggy pants and the, the cardigan that zips weird, but then the shirt comes all the way up. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it. Well, because, I mean, as we've talked about, it's been a constant thread in this season. Kurt has two kinds of kind of wardrobe choices in the season. One where it's a more tailored masculine look, and then the other is just, what the frick is, what is he wearing? So The shirt I saw him wear at some other point in time. The cardigan, I'm just going to guess, is that Blaine? I was going to say, is it Blaine? It doesn't go with the shirt. And then he's got these, like, <laughs> pleated pants. 
You can't even see his pants in this scene. Maybe, I mean, I'm just looking at Well, I mean, I'm an expert. (laughs) No, I believe you. I do. I believe you. She's an expert on Kurt Hummel's pants. They don't get repeated. He doesn't wear that those pair of pants again in the series for good reason. Probably, yeah, I was going to say probably for a good reason. Okay, so then we get um, the next scene. Finn and Rachel are making out. Ugh. Anyway, uh, Kurt comes in. He's all excited because he's got another thing. Gorilla little Graham? Valentine. I don't know thing. what to call it. <laughs> Gorilla Graham. Yeah, that's what he was calling them. Gorilla Graham, and he's like, "Oh, that plane. He's such a romantic." Mm-hmm. He's so happy until until he sees Finchel making out, and then he gets Santana like the same like oh why yeah they're both like boner killer thanks guys yeah why why do we have to see this you know what else I realized though this is about the time that um, Corey and Leah started dating too yes it's it's it part of the Finchel egregiousness is the fact that those two started dating and that that bleed did not need to happen. To the extent that it happened. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, you know, go be happy, that's fine. But, like, okay. <laughs> it became a lot more obvious from that point on that the actors were involved. It almost seemed like like it was a cast, like it was a glee-wide joke. Corey and Leo will not stop making out. Well, let's make Finch will not stop making out and gross everybody out. Yeah. You know what's funny, though? It You know... The kissing, though, is never, like, deeply passionate. And I know a lot of people are like, no. well, Rachel got, like, 8,000 kisses. I'm like, yeah, but no. they really are not, all, like... like... not hot face eating. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, okay, then, I think it's Rory's turn to sing a song to Sugar, and it's depressing. And Kurt, like, cries his way through it because he misses... It's about Rory missing home, and Kurt misses Blaine. Blaine. Because that's home. See, get it, you guys? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and you know, I mean, say what you will about Damien McGinty and say what you will about his character, say what you will about Rory being, you know, he he did end up kind of boring, but he does have a very nice voice, and I do like that song. It's very pretty. He does. And it's so, Kurt just, oh, Kurt pretty cries. He's like clutching his Valentine, and everybody else is like, Look, having, you know, their significant others there and they're all giving each other lovely looks. And Kurt is just like wistfully off in the distance with his Valentine, thinking about, you know, when his, you know, pirated prince is going to come back. It's interesting when you think about like all of the many, many gorillagrams delivered by Karofsky, who, I'd, why isn't he at school? He goes to another school. Okay. <laughs> How is he allowed in the school? Yeah. Maybe it was just the delivery person and then he decides to be in the gorilla suit every time. But it's maybe. like I felt I felt bad for Karoski because like did he not did he really think he was wooing Kurt? I think he did. Yeah, I think he did. But let's get into the we'll get into the Karofsky stuff when we get into the breadstick right. right. stuff. And I we're close. I mean I think yeah, that's I have one more point I want to make, then we can get there. Um, mm-hmm. It's Mercedes singing I Will Always Love You. Oh, she crushes it so And good. she's so amazing. Gosh. And this is, you know, this is a thing that breaks my heart about Mercedes. Because she goes into the storyline thinking, I have these two guys. They're two wonderful guys. I don't feel like it's fair to either of them to string them along. And until I can figure my stuff out, I'm going to just break it off. But, you know, and she tells Sam, you know, I will, you know, I love you. And I just can't do this right now. 
And it's kind of sad, but she's so mature about it. And I have so much respect for her as a character. And uh, she's she so, so much, much more self-aware than, than some of the other characters are. And I don't think she gets enough credit. No, she doesn't. Is there another character at any point that makes this mature of a choice? No. Maybe Emma at one point? Nah, she's still dating well. I mean, come on. Um, no, I mean, like, in between... John Stamos and I forgot his name. Oh, Carl. <laughs> no, he's just John Yeah. Not really. I mean, Bert and Carol, but that's just something different entirely. So. Yes, that's a whole level level of responsible human. Definitely not any of the other kids. That's for sure. Yeah. The other thing is, well, Kurt, not Kurt. Well, Mercedes is singing this. Kurt. I had to, oh my god, this is another one I had to search for his background moments. He is so far to the right, away from everybody during this scene. It's kind of crazy, because I'm looking at the still, and everybody's, like, all bunched together, and all the couples are together, but even, like, you know, Quinn is and Puck are sitting close, and Kurt is, like, way off to the left, or to the right. He's he's all alone. He It's been, like, five minutes. He hasn't seen Blaine. He's really unhappy. <laughs> Mercedes is singing this really sad song. Yeah. Sam cries. Everybody cries. Yeah. Everybody should cry. We don't get any kind of reaction scene. Not from, they don't pan to him at any point during this. So I don't know what that's all about. Okay, so then we get... Oh, I'm just going to really quickly check the... See if there's anything else in this. Oh, yeah. I, I, we should mention, before we get to the red stick stuff, just a quick shout-out to the lube joke that they make. Oh, my God. That is still funny. <laughs> you know it makes me sad that we have you know here we get it's kind of fun seeing Rachel's parents and and you know Bert and Carol together I'm really sad we didn't get a you know Kurt's parents with Blaine's mom and you know Ev- everything about this dinner this evening between the Hudmoles and the Berries is fabulous the only it's thing that would have made it better and it's Fabulous. The song that they sing, the conversation at dinner, the faces that Bert and Carol are making during the song that they're singing. Like, it's just Rachel amazing. Rachel and Finn getting into a fight about Finn having to take a crap. Rachel's bedtime routine. <laughs> brush at him. <laughs> they go to bed at seven. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the only thing that would have made this better is if Kurt had been there. And I, well, for the life of me, still don't understand no, why they didn't make, break him in. It actually makes sense well, to me, though. To be there. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Bring your brother. <laughs> Besides, Kurt was probably like, awesome, I'm going to sext with Blaine, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, this is before the party house. anyway. This, this is before. Kurt's got to go lay on a, all of his valentines and roll around in them. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that was an image. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm picturing it. <laughs> but I do. I love. I love watching Bert and Carol and Finn watch Rachel and her dad sing because Carol looks confused. <laughs> Finn looks like he's really into it. Like he's really ready to be a part of this family. And Bert's like, Isn't yep, Finn this the one is who be... says, like, we should do that." Yeah, and Bert just has this look on his face like, oh, this is what Kurt and his husband are going, okay, this is, I'm just, this is what's happening for the rest of my life, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But Carol, you know, Carol isn't quite as, I don't know how, I guess she never really had to be quite that close to some of the other 
parents's I don't know if Carol met any of the other parents in the Glee universe or if she ever met Quinn's parents or any of those other stuff. But you'd think that she would have met the Berries before this. And oh, already that's had true. A, already had a poker face about it. But she just you would looked, think. She just looks like, I, I don't know what to but do. But that's okay because she didn't meet Blaine's mom until the day that Kurt and Blaine got married. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't make sense either at all. I, I mean, even with Blaine. I disagree. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's a discussion for another episode, but still. I've just decided that's not true. I don't have strong feelings on it, so whatever head anybody's headcanon is, I will adopt because I really don't, I don't have, have a headcanon other than it's <laughs> But I do, Rachel's dads are fantastically appropriate for Rachel. Yeah. And I love watching them interact with Bert. Because you just see the whole time Bert's thinking about Kurt and Blaine. And it's sort of sweet to see Finn so excited about, like, being a being a berry. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> well, and it, it just really speaks to Finn's character growth. I mean, think about in in such a way that, I mean, when we started in season one, he was, you know pretty i mean i won't say blatant but he was he was homophobic and now here he is he's super excited to marry into a family and you know rachel has two day get two two gay dads didn't you know yeah i never really yeah, thought about that she but that's a great point she has two gay dads as opposed to two like whatever <laughs> but he's also he's that, super but... excited about the fact that um like, they are being crazy, theatrical, ridiculous. The kind of thing that people used to make fun of Rachel for. And here's someone who is loving every part of her. But, you know, I mean, if you think about it, he probably spends most of his time with Kurt and Rachel and Blaine. Yeah. That's if he's true. not hanging with Puck, he's with Kurt and Rachel and Blaine. So, yeah. you either Wait, gotta love it. Their house? Huh? No, I don't does think Sam so. Does their house right now? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yes. No. Who knows? Because we never, never really get a definitive answer on where Sam was living after a certain point. Yeah. After yeah. Um, hold on to 16, when he does come and stay with Finn for a while. But after like Finn graduates and Kurt graduates, I mean, I, it, it really doesn't seem like he'd be living with Bert and Carol after that. So uh, who uh, knows what the, his living situation is. Oh, and because in season four, um, Blaine's trying to raise money for his family anyway. So I think that, yeah, Sam's back with his parents at some point between yeah that. So within the year, I don't know. So anyway, anyway. it's fantastic. <laughs> and I do love the argument that Rachel and Finn have. It's so stupid, but it's so appropriate. Oh, yeah. It's I the most ridiculous thing that I, as an adult... Like, why would you have a fight about this? But as teenagers, especially melodramatic teenagers. But I think that was the point. I think that even though, oh, yeah, even though the show was like doing so many like teen and very young marriage stories, because man, there's a lot of them on the show. Um, I think it was still trying to be responsible and respect that marriage is hard, and you guys are teenagers, and this is not really, you know. <laughs> and I, not I like that idea. their fight. You know, their fight isn't a lack of love. It's that cohabitation is hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is what the backbone of Clayne's relationship issues are going to be later on. So, I mean, 
Yeah. I know what people hate it when I talk about how Clayne is like Finchel, but I'm sorry, it's there. Well, that's how relationships are. You get mad at someone for leaving toothpaste on a towel, and if someone poops and it's gross, you're unhappy. Like, you know, you have to learn how to deal with all those things. It's part of letting someone in. Exactly. And I really appreciate that Glee did that. I'm I'm glad that, you know, we have such wonderful fairy tale stories that I I love too, but I do like that they show us the real life side of things as well. So, all right, guys, it's time to talk about the giant girl in the room. Um, (laughs) That joke is just not going to get old. I'm sorry. Um, So Kurt comes into breadsticks and he's early. Um, And first of all, let's take a shout out to Kurt's suit, which is gorgeous. I I just, The deep red jacket and the vest. You know, he always looks good in a vest, but he's all tailored and done up, and he's in this very alluring, soft, sexy jacket. I mean, I just want to, you know, him. Yeah, I'm sure that was his goal. (laughs) Job well done, Kurt. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, but he, I mean, like he's dressing up for his boyfriend. He's so ready for this. Mm Oh, Oops. he already did his rolling around in the Valentine's ritual. He got dressed. I bet he <laughs> smells like fresh cookies. Yeah. So he comes in and he she. It's so funny about the waitress. It's like, oh yeah, we're here for a party, and he's like, I know I'm here early, but I'm meeting my sweetie. But he, she's like, but he, oh, but Kurt says that maybe he's late. So were they supposed to like meet before the party started, and that was the goal, or I don't know. I'm, I'm really sure that sure. they wanted to have some quiet time together. They probably wanted to have a quiet, romantic, disgusting breadsticks meal before the party started. Oh, that's true. Um, does he say sweetie or cutie? Cutie, I because I just, I just, I just saw a gif set of that, um, where at times that Kurt says um, my cutie or cute, and then ends yeah, with I a breakup one. Ends with a breakup yeah. one, and it's like, oh god, why? But anyway, and so Kurt is he is sailing. He is in high. Romance. He is ready for his and jacket so to get all rubbed on. And so are we as a on. fandom, because let me tell you, yes. as a, like, they fooled the us too. And I think that part of the reason why there was such a fandom backlash was not only was this were they not from Blaine, but they weren't from Blaine. So Blaine is not in this scene, and we haven't seen him all episode. And Blaine is supposed to be back. Well, you know what else? I'm going to throw this out there, even though I probably shouldn't be taking it this way. When, this is around the time that I came into fandom. And at this point, there were still a lot of people shipping Kurt and Karofsky. And yeah. there was a whole big thing, like, who was going to be in the gorilla suit? And as soon as I saw Max Adler's name on the little, you know, I'm like, oh, my stomach dropped. I'm like, he's going to be the freaking gorilla. And, like, so there was... Well, they had had a really great conversation at Scandals. You know, so they were in a good place, the two of them. I mean, I I don't want to be like, I don't want to like bash any characters, but as someone, you know, in this sense, I understand you can do redemption storylines and eventually get those characters together or whatever, but I just didn't see that happening here. Well, and this to me, before we go into specifics of that, really, I just want to throw out there that... Um, that I felt like this scene was not only there to set up on my way, because they knew that they were going to be on my way, 
But well, it's the entire point of this scene literally sets up Kurovsky's plot in on my way because it's that kid that they see that sets the whole thing in motion. Right, but it's also there to like I, you know, it's so it's such a meta episode. I think it was also there to appease the ridiculous Kurt Kurovsky fan. I shouldn't say that that way, but the Kurt Kurovsky fans that were out there because well, I think maybe it was a putting a a, a kibosh on that. No, it's not going to happen. See, and they were Although so it, invigorated by this, though. Yeah. But anyway, that was a long time ago. They, I haven't seen them much since season three, so it's not really no. a, a thing. But, um, God, it was just I such a think, mess. I do think that this scene really works. I think the whole concept of Karofsky in the gorilla suit makes sense. Basically, you know, from where they left off to where he is now and the fact that he's struggling and trying and... I thought it was, it was, you know, it wasn't like a if, huge plot twist, but it was If you good. take out the, the overarching idea, well, there's that too. The stalkering? Yeah, you gotta get, you have to if put you take that aside. If you put that aside for a second, and you take out the fact that we're all super, super, super disappointed that it wasn't Blaine. If you put those two things aside for a second, you can actually take an objective look at the scene, which is hard for people, I understand that. But this is just one of the ways that, as a character, Karaski fascinates me because he really thinks that he's doing a good thing. And and that this whole wooing of Kurt and basically following him around for a week dressed like a gorilla is actually going to make him leave Blaine and be with Karaski. And it, he's effectively made up for everything that he did before. Well, in Karofsky's defense, he doesn't really have a very good... He doesn't have a very complete picture of Blaine. That's so he true. has no... He doesn't really know what he's up against, you know? Um, but at the same time, he's so single-minded. Like, think about even yeah. the bullying stuff. He gets very single-minded. So, like, he doesn't yeah. really... He's not even thinking about Blaine as an obstacle. He says... Kurt has helped me. I feel like Kurt has helped me and I want to be with him because if Kurt can help me, you know, just in this make, maybe if we're together, I don't think that Karofsky likes Kurt because he's attracted to Kurt. I think that Kurt, you know, I'm sorry, that Karofsky likes Kurt because here's this person who might, you know, help him and save him. And so he clings on to that. He doesn't really necessarily care about Kurt's point of view in this. Or, you know, I mean, yeah, there is some growth there. I do think there is a redemption storyline here. But here, he, you know, he, he's stalking Kurt around, not really, you know, paying respect to the fact that the kid is in a relationship. You know, it, and, hey, if I can give you these, you know, romance you, I know you like romance. If I can romance you, maybe you can save my life. That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting the way they build, the way they build the redemption arc for Karofsky, who I'm now going to call Dave. Where they start with scandals and then they bring him in here and then they bring him in again after his suicide attempt. And then the scene that they have him in season six where he basically tells Blaine, like, go, you know, I get it. It's it's fine. Um, That was such a great moment. Oh, yeah. And it was so it was so perfect for him to have said that. And I like the way they, they sort of they take this character who, when we first meet him, seems pretty reductive and terrible and not that complicated. Yeah. And then we see him get more complicated and then sort of slowly piece by piece unpack all of his things that are hard for him before he finally gets to a place where, you know, as an adult, 
he seems like a reasonably functional adult. And, you know, I, I think it, he doesn't, of course he doesn't understand that, um, there is a super creepy stalker aspect to what you're doing with Kurt. Because I don't, Kurt has forgiven him in a lot of ways and said that he's not afraid of him. And so I think Karofsky has allowed himself to also not think of himself as a threat anymore. So it doesn't really occur to him that he's following someone around and giving him He's not understanding that just because Kurt may have forgiven him or at least said he's forgiven him, I mean, I don't, you can say you forgive somebody, but I mean, your part of you is always going to wonder. Yeah. But also, and, you know, Kurt's, he's, he's surprised. I don't know. He forgot how tall Blaine was. He's surprised, but he's not disgusted. He's not, he's not scared when Crosby he's not even He's just really, a little bit confused. He's, he's, he's firm with him, but he's not mean. He's no, like, he's very, he's very. You know, you can tell that he's okay with Dave being who he needs to be. He just, he doesn't want to be a part of it, you know, but not in a really aggressive way. No, he um, was, he was just very, very firm. And like, did you really like think that I, I, I that I would do this? Well, and the interesting you know? thing kind of, I want to jump back and hit a point before we completely miss it. Um, going back to the reveal part of it. I kind of love that Kurt reads the um, Valentine and it says, I think I love you. And Kurt's confused. Like, think, you know, I, I love Blaine. Blaine loves me. What is going on? You know? And then he does the reveal and he's, I mean, I like that there's a mixture of disappointment and confusion, but not like yeah. revulsion. And then when he sits down, he's Kurt is, I know we talk a lot about body language and Kurt's closed off. He's completely, in on himself, he's not like Krosky reaches out his hand at one point and, and Kurt withdraws it. That's such a great moment. Yeah, he makes it clear that he has he is not physically open to him. Right, and and when um, he doesn't say, "Hey, I have a boyfriend. This is not going to happen." He doesn't say, "Oh, you're gross. Get away from me." He said he's kind of spells it out. He's like, "Look, you did all these things to me." And I see that you're progressing, and that's great. And we can try and be friends because you know we had that one step in the bar, and and we can go from there. But I, you know, you the, you trying to expect this from me is not right. It's not the way things work. Yeah. Just because I've forgiven you doesn't mean that I owe you anything. Yes, and that is the one thing when we get into the next episode that'll be an interesting episode to talk about. Kurt is going to end up blaming himself, and there is no reason, Kurt. There's no reason why he should, and yet I totally understand why he does, because I think, you know, anybody in that situation might. Right. Especially when you're young and you don't have the tools to really dissect it, you know? When you're a walking bundle of hormones and emotions that you don't even understand half the time. Yeah. So I thought it worked, and that part, you know, when Karofsky goes to leave, and that other guy sees him, I got chills. I got scared for him. That was such a telegraphed moment. Like, you could just tell, like, if you weren't spoiled. And and honestly, I gotta tell you, for the most part, 
I wasn't spoiled a whole lot for the a lot of the episodes at this point. I, I tried to stay as far away from it as I could. So I really did not have a whole lot of uh, idea of exactly what was coming until like right before it aired because there were people talking about how hey be careful when you're watching this episode because it could be triggery and all that stuff um but uh so but it was such a telegraphed moment in in the way that glee does subtlety oh so well <laughs> you just know that it's gonna well, be a know, thing that, that you know but you just don't know how that the scene could have ended without that additional threat looming as a cliffhanger so you didn't expect it. It just seemed like, oh, well, they're having a wrap-up. You know, you didn't expect uh-huh. Karofsky to step one foot into the next storyline. No. Um, well, and and I, you know, looking back on it, you know, being two years after the show is over and we get the whole complete story, I, maybe that's one reason why I just like this episode in general better. I, I do appreciate this scene. I think it works. I think it is extremely well acted, except for... A little bit when he's when Karofsky's like I you know that butterscotch line. The butterscotch ones are my favorite. That was sweet. It was stupid. It was it was soft and emotional in a way that you don't get to have with him. Yeah, I liked it. But um, he was made fun of a lot for that. Well, I mean, I, I'm not trying to make fun of him. I just think it was a silly lie. It was the writing that I had a problem with. It was like really not his acting. Um, yeah. But the, the acting was solid all the way around, and it's a good, I mean, there could have been more lead up to On My Way, but it was a good enough that it led in there, and I understand what Glee was going for much more being this far out, so I can appreciate what they were doing. I think once you take away the 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 immediateness of how you felt in fandom at the time. Yeah. It allows you a little more perspective. Plus, we're all, you know, five years older. Yeah, that's true. So, it's sort of like a 2020 thing. Not not just hindsight, but also the fact that we do, now that the show is over, get the full story. And so, you could see where something that didn't necessarily make sense at the time works for a character. Whether you like that they did that or not, I don't know that I necessarily felt they needed to revisit this. But I understand how they were working it out. Well, and at this, yeah, at the same time, I like... Now I can watch this and like I can just skip to the next episode and Lane's going to be there. You know, it's kind of like I'm not waiting, you know, or I'm, I, you know, I'll get to season four and season five and they'll that be was better. The play, longest you know. hiatus ever. And then we come back and then there's like no Blaine for a week and a, a week and then an episode and then most of an episode. And it was like the longest drought of January ever. But yeah, I, you know what I was thinking about also, kind of going back to a, a point that we were just talking about, was like, look at Kurt and the Ricky Martin, you know, song that the, um, how have I already He's very forgotten? open there. He's physically. very open. And physically, he's, you know, like, he's been getting physical with Blaine. He's more open and feeling comfortable with his group of friends and feeling like he can present himself. And then this is just Kurt going backwards. So I, I just think that the like acting choices and I always, direction. See, I, always I don't find it fascinating how Kurt literally just in a nanosecond shuts down. I don't see it as going backwards. I see it as him defining boundaries. 
Okay, that's a better way of putting and it. Totally, that is a and, better way, and, yeah. And being, and being of the opinion of this is someone who I'm going to have really clear boundaries with. Right. Because without that, I can't handle it. He doesn't reject Krofsky that- in this. He, he's not like, go away, get away. Like, we can start this, but we have to do it on my terms. Yeah. I just, I, I think that it really speaks to Kurt and his character and, and a different kind of wisdom. Like we were talking earlier about like the kind of real self-awareness that Mercedes has about herself. And I think in this way, this sort of plays into Kurt a little bit here too, because he's extremely aware of what's happening. And once he realizes what's going on, he's extremely aware that if he doesn't shut this down right now, he could end up right back in a situation where he was in season two. But the cool thing is how much Kurt has grown that he can assess that. Because season two, Kurt might have, you know, not have been able to do that very well. So. Yeah, season two, Kurt would be yelling about Karofsky working in a, re- a rendering plant. Which was an excellent one. <laughs> Such a great line. It was perfectly <sighs> excellent for the, the Karofsky of the time. Yes. Yeah. I think Karofsky's a fascinating character. Just it, it, from a psychological standpoint of, you know, just rounding out and making him a 360 degree character versus you know the one note bully that he started out as i just find it so fascinating that he thinks that all this is okay well he still has the iq of someone who worked at the rendering (laughs) that's true i I said something once when i met her that like krofsky is kind of dumb and i don't mean that in a like he's a stupid idiot, I hate him way, but he just doesn't have the intelligence as some of the, a, a lot of the other characters do on the show. Um, so He's not as quick-witted. Yeah. No, he's it's not, not It's not that he's not smart, because I actually think he is very smart. He just doesn't... He's uh, not emotionally smart. Maybe. He has a lot of issues there, anyway. Well, yeah, that's true. He does not do interpersonal relationships very well. Well, okay, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> so, anyway, we get into the party part of this. And um, Sugar is handing out $200 gift cards to everyone. Man. I want to go and party with Sugar. Um, and then, um, oh, and Sugar's dad is not in the mafia. Because you guys remember that that was a thing? That was such a great line. Yeah. And Puck brought an entire fraternity with him. No, sorority. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry to forget how you run a fraternity. I think I read that fan fiction. Sorry, you read an entire sorority. Woo! Yeah. I do like that because there's a point when, when Blaine with the conga line steals all of the sorority girls from <laughs> He does. But, you know, and it's, we, we get the Brittany Santana stuff, which is very sweet, I think. It is sweet. And, um, but you get Kurt, who's by himself. I mean, this is before Finchel arrives to keep him company, but. Wasn't Sugar's whole thing that he couldn't show up without a date? Well, he thought he was going to get one. I'm, You know, in some ways, I'm surprised. Why is he still there? Because, I mean, if he was alone and he doesn't... I mean, granted, why didn't he call Blaine anyway? He was eating his feelings. Maybe he just wanted to be with his friends, you know? I mean, I know that I've been lonely, and I'm like, maybe if I can just spend time with people, I don't feel as, you know... Plus, he has a lot to process. I mean, I bet... being alone all by yourself. He's got... I mean, he's like... He's still thinking about that Karofsky stuff. He's still thinking about, where's Blaine? I miss him. He's still got a, lot of, got a lot on his plate. He probably just hasn't moved from that table since Krofsky, Krofsky left. So, 
everything just happened around him. He took his coat off, and he looks mighty fabulous in that vest and tie combination. He really does. He's also wearing the same pants that he wore the first time when they're in the auditorium, and he wants to go to the house. I know. I love yeah, those yes, pants. Those are my favorite Those pants. are his sex pants. So, why isn't Blaine there yet? <laughs> what I want to know is where did you stash that microphone? When he made the outfit, he planned on the touchy-touchy jacket and the sex pants. He did. And the tie for pulling, and a vest. Is that a microphone in your pocket, or are you just happy to see? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, yeah, like there he's sitting. He thought he was gonna have this most romantic night with his boyfriend, and he gets Karofsky, and that's like a lot of baggage to deal with. So I can see him yeah. just sitting there and just thinking about it, and letting everybody party around him. Oh, and then I wrote in my meta: the cock blocking piano is in the background of Kurt. Oh my god, it really is. <laughs> He's looking all pensive and everything, and there's the piano. That's so funny. Okay, so... That is the most hated musical instrument, like, ever. <laughs> um, so yeah, then we get um, Sugar. She has an announcement to make. I, I want... I, I think I've read one fanfic about this. Um, Sugar planning with Blaine to do this performance. Yeah, I read that one, too, and it's very cute. Like, because, yeah, I wonder, I mean, and, like, Blaine and Sugar never have any lines together, so. Nope. I don't think they had one conversation. I don't even think Kurt and Sugar really had any conversation, so, yeah. It doesn't matter. If Blaine talks to you, if Blaine Anderson shows up and is like, look, I really want to serenade you my boyfriend sort of with this love song. You just sort of sigh and go, uh-huh. Can you help me? Like, you're saying yes before even, before you've even really thought, yeah, yeah, I'll help, I'll help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in. Back from the dead and as cute and compact as ever. That's so, like she has all the best lines as ever. My dad's not in the mafia. He's back from the dead. What is she saying? She's like a whole dramatic pan, and he's got his back to the audience, you know, to like the camera. Like, of course, well, we don't know who it is because he's yeah. got his back to us. Yeah, you're tiny and you're wearing five sweaters and a pork pie hat. We know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's either a senior citizen. That is the best description of Blake I've ever read. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> She says something and then she says, holler, what is it? Oh, I can't remember now. She has some a whole bunch of funny stuff that she says when she has the microphone. Uh, that was part of, I think that was when she was saying something about her dad not being in the mafia. That she said something else. Holla! Oh, yeah. something about the God Squad. I think she was announcing the God Squad. Oh, Jesus. Jesus holler. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Blaine. And oh my gosh. Just the, because I remember this. Because this was the, you know, this is kind of funny. Um. This is the first episode I watched live when I, after I got really into fandom and came back to the show and really fell in love with Clayne. And um, I actually took, I was, there was a whole lot of personal stuff going on at the time. And I took the day off so I could watch this episode. And, um, because my priorities, you know. And sure. it's at night, but okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I work in the evening. <laughs> she worked night. Well, she true. works. You in the know evening. my schedule. You work in the evening. Hey, you know. <laughs> And, and you can edit this out if you want. But uh, when As the World Turns went off the air, I took the day off work to watch the finale. 
No, that's okay. I took my boss let me have every Friday night off for thirteen weeks during season six. But anyway, oh, wow, oh. that's really sweet. Devotion. We got our priorities straight. She even knew why I was taking it off. I, mean, <laughs> I can't believe I got away with that. But anyway, um, when Blaine comes back, and it's so exciting, and he's got that cute little eye patch, that heart eye patch, and then that, that like that is the most adorable thing. And I mean, first off, props to the props department. <laughs> you know, once again, the clothing department has just outdone themselves because, of course, Blaine has an eye patch shaped like a heart. And I love the Kurt just lights up and becomes alive again when, when, I mean, Blaine's not the only one back from the dead. Yeah. Maybe that isn't such a crazy line, then. I guess if you think about it in that sense, you know, Blaine isn't back from the dead. Kurt is. Never thought of it that way. But, I mean, that kind of goes into... There's a lot of death meta around Kurt that I don't know that I always... Understand? Well, I don't always understand, understand it, so... But, in this sense, I think that, you know, in, in a, some some kind of way that maybe it could apply. Yeah. No, I can. And I, I kind of see... I'm always on the fringes of it. I think it's kind of interesting. I don't always get it, but sometimes it, it jumps out at me. Especially when yeah. we talk about being alive in season four. There, there are some things... When I read it, I like, oh. I think it's interesting, but it's like I have a hard time coming up with like a solid piece that follows all the way through because, you know, you have Kurt having this conversation with Karofsky, which is basically him, you know, if things had gone differently, he could have ended up dead or either of them. So it's like this where death sort of misses both of them and then now he's back from the dead. When adorable Gramps, Dapper Gramps shows up. Let's talk about Love Shack. Let's talk about the fact that Kurt and Blaine, their love song, because everybody, all the couples get a love song in this one. Kurt and Blaine's love song is Love Shack. It's the one about the orgy. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, that's what that song is about. It is a fantastic song. I've always liked that song. It's so well suited for all the different singers who are on the song. It's complete fun. Blaine does lead a conga line. Uh, there's, they get I know to you interact see, and be flirty. Kurt yeah, does his a, little shimmy. There's tie pulling. Yeah, it is like Blaine flips his hat. It's adorable. Like does a little flick on his hat, which is so just. Yeah, I and love their singing. They're singing up on stage, and Blaine's got his arm around him, and he's sh- shaking his butt. There's such well, they're this... both shaking their butts. Well, yeah. They're... There's such an it, like a casualness about their interactions, and, and like almost. It's just like an over. It's an ex- it's a joy explosion. You know, and it's yeah. kind of funny because at the time, I remember we were still kind of complaining about. And rightfully so, uh, about censorship and how, you know, Britannia gets a kiss, but Klein doesn't really get to do anything. But there is a lot in this scene. There is a lot of, they are being relaxed and flirty. I think they gave us as much as they thought they could. And I think, um, I feel like this is probably one of those scenes that they probably didn't choreograph until they got to set that day. Because... 
I feel like there was a lot of improv going on, like with sugar jumping up on the table and like the whole knock a little louder sugar thing, which I just love is so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- Darren had to like rush back there even to be in the episode too. So I, I can see why yeah. this would be less minute. So I feel like a lot of this performance was just sort of like, okay, so I'm going to go up this way and I'm going to approach Kurt and we're going to be all flirty and then conga line and then this, that, and the other thing. And then balloons. Yeah. Even basically. Oh, Oh, and and, and Finn looks like he's milking the swans or something. I don't know. I always love that little moment because he's just it's like so absurd <laughs> because he just pops up and like I feel like this is like th- they asked him to do the most random thing he could think of so he just popped up and started dancing and it, yeah. it's just so funny. Yeah, it's one of my favorite little Finn moments. I love that moment. It always makes me laugh so hard. Yeah, and you get a moment where Kurt is singing with Mercedes and Rachel. Uh-huh. It's in the hip, it's in the hip, the hip wiggle thing. Where they're sh- he's shaking his hips and, and Blaine's just sort of watching them sing together and Kurt's shaking his hips at him. Yeah, that scene. I, I love the, there's a couple of things. I love the, um, the microphone exchange and I love Blaine's like, here, have this. And Kurt pulls it out and not only does Kurt pull it out, but Blaine's like, oh yeah, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> and stay okay. But and here's my here's my problem with Britanna. They don't get moments of connection and chemistry that jump off the screen in the same way. And I wish that they did because I think that there they had are the literally no to. words exchanged between Kurt and Blaine here. They're just singing, and there is so much. So, there's so much telling going here. There's so much substance. You know, yeah. and I hate, I, you know what, I hate to say this. I mean, I feel, but I do think that Heather Morris is a weaker actress. I, sometimes that is the problem. And Naya Vera, I like her for a lot of things. She's not the, I, I just think Darren and Chris are better actors. Oops, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sure. But I, I just yeah. think that is part of it. Well, look at, I mean, look at the scenes with Max Adler. He's great. I mean, he's just great. Which is why his character has so much fascination around it. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not a slam on either. I mean, Heather is an amazing dancer. She's way, way, way better than Chris. Oh, my God. I mean, she, Heather never intended to be an actress. She's a dancer. So I, I'm like, I'm not slamming. And I really do like Naya Rivera. So there's no, I just, I think that they're just sometimes objectively, there's some acting that's better. I, I think that, and that the problem with, um, what happened with some of the fandom is that you had, you know, whatever major couples at the time, it was things end up being like a weird competition. Do I think that the acting and all the Finchel stuff is particularly strong? No, not really. Sorry. Um, you know, but if it's your favorite, then it's your favorite. Yeah. And I can yeah. understand that. And there are even times, I mean, we're not going to get into the depths of why, but there are even clean moments that are just a little like, yeah, hey, you guys could have done that better. Oh, I was going to say, you know what I think is really funny? Just as a quick Finchel note, I think that Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff have more chemistry. And it always makes me think of um, that line in Friends that Joey says that, you know, if the character, if the actors are doing it, they, they don't have as much chemistry on screen. <laughs> <laughs> I always think about that. I don't know. That's just me personally. Yeah. But 
Um, let's talk about Tin Roof Rusted, and that apparently, I don't know how it got into this, not how this is the vernacular, but it's supposed to be, like, something about being pregnant. It eventually, okay, so when they wrote that, because I actually read up on this one when, when we found out that Kurt was going to be the one who gets that line. And so when the song was written, they literally just made up the most insane thing they could think of to put in there. It was not intended to be any kind of slang for telling someone you're pregnant. But somehow in, you know, the way the music affects things, I mean, the line is literally, you're what? And then he says, tin roof rusted. So it's sort of like... I could see where it became eventually a slang for telling someone you're pregnant. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's funny. It is funny. It's, and it's, that's not, not something I was actually aware of until this episode. No, I didn't know either until this episode. I just thought it was some stupid thing that they said in the middle of the song. I love that people meta edit to a, a, a thin connection to the fact that Blaine and Kurt have sex. There was a well, lot of male prank that came out of this too, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, realistically, if you're, when you're slicing up the lines, who else would deliver that? Mercedes? We sure. don't need any more Mercedes maybe pregnant stuff. Oh. <laughs> That's well, no, true. I just think, I mean, come on. I'm sure Chris was like, I'm singing this. <laughs> it's a great line. I mean, it's, it really works for him and i love how the it balloon does. he gets all goofy and i that's the another thing difference between fanon and canon kurt kurt is so goofy and such a dork and i love that i think the reason why there's such a a, a disconnect between fanon and canon kurt is because so much of canon kurt is reserved that it's hard for us to figure out when he should be reserved and when he should be laid back So that when he is laid back, we're all like, oh my god, look how happy and comfortable and relaxed he is, and they're touching each other and shaking their butts. I think that people latched on to season one and season early season two, Kurt, and didn't let go of that for a long time. That's just my interpretation, but whatever. Fanfic stuff can be for another day. We should probably wrap this up. Um, yeah. So yeah, so Kurt and Blaine are adorable, and they sing "Love Sack." Sh- love Sack. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the podcast. There, there is RB. That's the title of the episode. The one with the lust. <laughs> oh my god! Love Sack. Well, <laughs> so do you have any other further? And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's, that wraps that up. Um, unless we have anything else uh, we need to touch on, but I think we pretty much touched everything. Oh, can so. I just talk about how Sugar wants her dad to buy Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't touch on that because this is the end of. I mean, it kind of is uh, was the writing on the wall on the wall for Damian McGinty because he said he couldn't get his visa or something extended so he was going to be leaving at the end of the school year aka the end of the season mm, yeah. yeah well i thought that we already so. knew that he wasn't going to be back but yeah um yeah this is kind of the i mean as they bring joe in and joe i think was intended to be a, a 
character who's going to last a little bit longer, and and Rory doesn't really get a um, any. I I think they wanted more from the character because he was such a fan favorite on the Glee project. Wow. They thought that more people would be into him, but I feel like the that the Glee project had a very when you say Glee had a niche audience, the Glee project had a really niche audience. Yeah, it and wasn't that, me. I didn't watch it, so I did. I suffered through two seasons of that. Well, Oof. going back to we can end this back on a more fun note, talking about yeah. love sex. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Um, thanks so much for joining me tonight. Next week, we are going to hit the biggie on my way and all of the emotional complications that go along with that one. So uh, join us next Sunday night. And yeah, that's the podcast. <laughs>